When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, this is Bailey Jordan Neal, and you're listening to Tobin Tonight. Welcome to another episode of Tobin Tonight. We've got Bailey Jordan Neal on. Now, Bailey, we tried to do this, I think, during the summer, and it was a completely different story. My background was different. Bailey's background was different. Bailey was out and about buying groceries, getting a haircut. And I was just like, this dude has like the ego of like an Ed Sheeran where it's just like, I'll do your interview, but uh, I'm getting my haircut while we're doing it. And I'm like, oh, my God. Sure, we'll try it. <laughs> Never worked. But now we have him on. Uh, Bailey, how are you doing? Um, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm definitely doing better. Last time we spoke, I uh, was in an alleyway around the corner from a stage where me and my friends were playing outside. Yeah, uh, definitely. I moved into a new apartment. I, I got a haircut, as you can see. And I'm finally able to get back to work and getting back to doing what I do for the first time in a couple years. So it's good. I will give you this compliment. And I know people will just be like, how dare he start by giving him a compliment. But like, I remember looking at video clips on Instagram and Facebook. And I'm like, yeah, the dude has pipes. He reminds me of an Ed Sheeran, but I'm like that haircut. I'm like, just, ugh, just cut it. And then I was like, I think I even sent you a message where I'm just like, dude, just cut your hair. And you're, and I felt like I don't know him that well. So he's going to probably be like, shut the hell up, man. And then like three days later, it's like, there you go. That's the guy we want. Yeah. <laughs> Do you get people that come up to you and just be like, man, like I, I get it, but just cut it. So only people I know or people who yeah. are paying me. Those two. I get my grandmother and my girlfriend telling me to cut my hair. And then there's a place that I play at fairly regularly called Middle Eight. And uh, Andrew is the owner and he tells me to cut my hair anytime. I, and then I put a hat on. He's like, nope, that's not good. They're just looking out for your image. I'm surprised that it's not your of mom, course. the first person who just comes up and says, listen, love ya, but gotta go. <laughs> Well, mom just throws money at me and says, here, here's 40 bucks. Go get your hair cut right now. You got yeah. no excuse. <laughs> and then if you don't, if you don't get it cut, she's like, why'd you spend it on? You'd be like, um, groceries. She'd be like, all right, fair. Here's another 40. And you'd be like, you know, I'm going to spend this somewhere else. Yeah. Now. It's like you're yeah. feeding I need the it, system. I need it happen. <laughs> yeah. I want to ask you because, I mean, it's, it's great to figure out where everyone kind of got into music, their interest. Now we're both Newfoundlanders. So I feel like we're kind of surrounded by music where it's like, you just come out of the womb and someone's like, here's a, here's two spoons, go at And I'm like, I'm not a spoons yeah. guy. They're like, all right, you're off to Ontario. I'm like, what did I do wrong? <laughs> it's like, I don't know music. Did I get something wrong here? And they're like, no, you don't fit in here. But like, how did you get into the music side of things? Honestly, I grew up around music, obviously, like you mentioned, it's like uh, my grandmother on my Jordan side was a music teacher. My grandfather on my dad's side would played in a band since he was 14 years old. My grandmother on the Neil side plays the spoons, you know, Some spoons relevance like, comes in handy. <laughs> of course. Yeah. It's just, it's definitely part of the culture, like kitchen parties, like sitting around the living room, singing songs. And like, that's what we do in Newfoundland. So it was just one of those things where I wanted to participate with my family. And then it became something that I could do for a living. 
So like when you were growing up listening to music, obviously you mentioned family members in it, but like who I guess were like your first kind of interest in music. Like I know for me, like I don't know the first song I've ever heard or the first artist that I was kind of like drawn to, but I remember like, I would watch much music and Backstreet Boys was a big thing. I know there's people out there now like, oh my God, I can't believe you just openly admitted it like Backstreet Boys. Like, listen, I'm 30. I feel like that's safe. But I remember, yeah, yeah. And I, I just remember we went across Canada one time because we were helping my brother move. And it was like we were headed into Nova Scotia. And the first two songs off the ferry was a Tim McGraw song and Jimmy Rankin. And I just remember that very distinctively because I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. We're in, we're in Mabu. Why not play Jimmy Rankin here? Right. It's like yeah. the same as if you're in Newfoundland. It's like you hear an Ennis sister song on the radio. <laughs> you're like, that makes sense. Like, you know, yeah. what, what was the first one, either be a Newfoundland artist or a world renowned artist that you're kind of like, yeah, that's what I want to do. Well, so that's the thing. I kind of grew up listening to like bands like Mariana's Trench and Fall Out Boy. So growing up, I thought you had to have blue hair and skinny jeans to be a musician. And then I remember I was really into the show Supernatural. You know what that is? Yeah. So Jensen Ackles, the guy who plays Dean Winchester, he uploaded the video of him playing The Wake by the band. And that song has like four or five chords in it. And that's all you need to learn how to play guitar, essentially. And so I learned that just because I was kind of obsessed with Supernatural and I was like fanboying over it. (laughs) And then over like it was probably six months to a year later, I was sitting in my basement watching videos and I found Ed Sheeran playing live. And his, I had heard his music up to that point, like 18, Gimme Love, that kind of stuff. But seeing him play live, it made me realize that you can just be yourself and make music. You know, yeah. you don't have to dye your hair. You don't have to dress up in any outfits. You can just make music and do that. And that was why I started essentially, because I always loved music. Yeah, I think it's interesting because when you mentioned Ed Sheeran, so like I guess my kind of go-to example now, I, I'm guessing I'm 30, so I might be like eight years older than you. I don't know your age. But like I remember liking John Mayer, but then like obviously when John Mayer came out with like uh, Your Body's a Wonderland, that's where I kind of get interested. But then there are people like, yeah. that's not that's not John Mayer. That's like, you know, like the media's John Mayer. And I'm like, all right, fair enough. But this is the only song I know of him right now. And then you'd you got like, I think it's like on the way home or there's other songs that I I have it on my phone, but I'm just too lazy to look. But I remember these are songs that I got into because you've seen his range in vocals and how well he plays the guitar. But I remember Mm -hmm. I've never gone to see him live, but I remember there was a clip one time on YouTube where it's like recommended. And I think he was playing like a, a Tom Petty song in LA and he just slowed it down. He did it at his own pace. The crowd was really into it. And I was like, Yes, this guy does his own good songs. He does great covers, but it kind of shows you like, obviously, if you do your own great song, people are going to be like a fan of you anyway. It's always like how you perform a cover. I feel like people are either, yeah, they killed it. No, that was complete trash. And I felt like for the most part, the comments were like really positive. So I'm like, all right, we got in the books. He's a good artist. But I feel the same with Ed Sheeran where I feel like Ed's kind of like this generation's kind of John Mayer where you can go on YouTube and he's doing it all. Like he's, he don't care. Like you don't like him. He's like, all right, I'm just going to keep doing music. But I don't think there's really an audience out there. That's like, I hate Ed Sheeran. It's like, what do you hate about him? Just hate him because he's talented. I'm like, that's a fair reason to hate him, but I, I not sure Ed Sheeran is going to care. 
that's something that I personally actually have struggled with as an artist, you would say, is like everything, every aspect of the music industry and entertainment, they want to put you in a box. I say they and it sounds, but it's like you also need to put yourself in a box to promote yourself. That's the kind of thing where it's like when people are like, oh, uh, your body is a wonderland isn't really John Mayer. That's not fair because that is something he created. That is a part of who he is. And him being able to write that song and write the stuff that these people would consider real John Mayer, that's who he is. He can do all of that stuff. I think, in my personal opinion, that should be appreciated more. Hello, I'm Wendy Mesley. There you are. A lot of people have wondered what happened to you. I could say the same about you, Maureen Holloway. Well, here we are, a few years after we left our previous jobs. We've been busy. We have a podcast. I know, you're thinking, who doesn't? But ours is really good. It's called Women of Ill Repute. We don't just talk to women, though. Just the most interesting people you'd ever want to meet. Artists, musicians, comedians, doctors. Activists, convicts, writers, sex workers. Drop some names. Jan Arden, Pamela Anderson, Bruce Coburn. Samantha Irby, Louise Penny, Marilyn Dennis, Colin Mockery. We laugh, we cry, sometimes we argue. Come and find us. Our website is womenofillrepute.com. Or try Apple, Spotify, and all the podcast places. So now you know what happened to us, Women of Ill Repute. With any act, obviously, to try to get more people engaged in your music, you do shows, whether it's at like a local pub, whether it's down here, Toronto, wherever you're located. I want to ask you, like, do you ever get kind of a, a bit of stage fright? Like, I feel like that's a weird question for a musician where it's like, well, if you got stage fright, why are you a musician? But I always look at it in the aspect of if you go somewhere new, it's not as nervous as performing in front of your own like friends and family, because if you bomb in front of your friends and family, it's almost like they don't even want to say that they're associated with you. Like imagine doing a stand-up routine and it doesn't go over well. Your mom's not coming to you and be like, that's my son. She's going to be like, yeah, going out the door. Like, and you're like, mom, where are you going? It's like, I don't know you. <laughs> so yeah, do you no, find exactly. it more nerve wracking to do? Uh, like, do you ever get stage fright here compared to up away? Or do you find it more comfortable up away to do like going into pubs and performing? So I never really got nervous per se. It's always been more excitement for me. Like, okay. Because it's like, you know, <laughs> yes, it's, yes, exactly. Like, it's, it's a challenge. You know that you have to perform, you know, you have to do things properly and you know that you have to, you know, put on a show. And that to me is exciting because it's like a challenge. And it's always a new challenge because it's always new people. But like what you were saying about performing in front of people you know, it's like if you saw me perform a year ago, and now I'm playing a show in front of you. I would expect you to expect me to be better. Yeah, yeah. You know, you would expect to see some growth. So I need to, I, I feel the need to show that I am getting better. And I should, I feel the need to show that when I'm playing in front of people who have seen me play throughout the years, for sure. And it's yeah. like, that's probably the most nervous I get. Cause it's like, well, I want them to think that I'm working hard and practicing and doing my job essentially, you know? So, Bailey, if I ever brought in friends to your show, because just say I'm in Toronto or if I'm in Ottawa and you're performing, do you want me to undersell it or oversell it? Because I feel like as a person in media or an act under, yeah, under, <laughs> undersell, where it's like, hey, he's just my buddy. We're just here to watch him. He might be OK. I don't know. And then after the show, they'd be like, he's he's good. If I go in, I'm like, good. 
that's the outcome. If I'm like, hey, man, this guy like sounds just like Ed Sheeran. He does everything like Ed Sheeran. And then next minute they'd be like, I've seen Ed Sheeran live. That was not Ed Sheeran. I'd be like, can't give that feedback to Bailey. (laughs) Well, I mean, that feedback I'm sure would. I definitely value criticism. If I'm annoying anybody, I want to know. But yeah, no, that's definitely a factor for sure. Because it's like, if I know that somebody is expecting the best show they've ever seen, yeah. I will, I will, I'm not sure if I can provide that. <laughs> However, I know that I can do what I do well. So yeah. if you're just saying that I'm a musician and not telling people what to expect, I'm fairly confident that I would give them yeah. more than it's, they're thinking. It's setting but, the bar to the very minimum where it's just a, like, it's almost people are like, well, okay, if you're really smart about it, it's like, if someone says, all right, like, have you, do you know this guy? It's like, yeah, he's a musician. Some people are like, oh, okay. And they just sit back and watch, but like, really all I told you, was his occupation it's almost like if someone's yeah. like hey is brian like you know what does brian do like is he good at interviews blah, blah blah he's like he's a podcaster it's like okay didn't really answer my question but it's like yeah <laughs> like all right i guess i guess i'll find out now i've heard some samples or like some live shows i mean it's interesting because before i came on i was just scrolling through instagram and you know you'll see videos but i went on facebook and like your mom got to be like the utmost super fan because she's like throwing up flashbacks or throwback thursdays and she's just like remember when it all started bailey and then like the first thing that she showed is like you performing an ed sharon song and i'm like all right that makes sense especially with your answer that you mentioned earlier but i mean how key is it to having like i guess family support you in that sense because i feel like there's two windows to that there's one where you're like yes that's great thank you but then there's another one where it's like all right stop like, can you just not share as much? I can see that being a thing for some people, but yeah. I am very lucky in the sense that my family has been extremely supportive since the beginning. Now, whether that's because I was, you know, <laughs> failing at school and not doing anything with my life before I started playing music, that definitely plays a part. But they've always been supportive. And I can say that, like, I mean, I still call my grandmother daily to discuss what's going on in my career and get advice and her opinion and all of these things, because without my family, I wouldn't be able to do this. Like when I moved at home, when I was 17, my grandparents and mother and father took my college fund and used it to help me pay my rent so that I could pursue music. You know what I mean? Like, and my family, like we don't come from money. They managed to save up a bit of money for me to go to college. And instead of that, they just gave it to me to pursue my dream. And it's been that way since I was 17, meaning like if I don't have groceries, I know I can call my grandmother or my mother or my father and we will figure something out. And it's like without that support base, I can count many times where I would have been completely screwed, whether it was a broken guitar or I don't have a microphone anymore. My cables broke, so I can't play this show. Having a supportive family has made me able to do what I love. I feel like it's good because if we had to try this interview a few a few months ago when you were in like the back alley, I would have been like, I really hope he has a good support system because it's not going to be me. <laughs> I mean, I'd just be like, yeah. Bailey, where did you go? It doesn't look very safe back there. And it's like, connection's gone. I'd be like, I really hope he called his grandmother. Not that she's going to be much yeah. help at this point, but maybe. <laughs> maybe she'll just be like, well, what did they want, sweetie? Do they want like 20 or 40 bucks? It's like, actually, they want 100 or it's my life. It's like, uh, how much do I really love you? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. 
but I mean, I can count. Like, I remember one time I was supposed to be moving in and subletting an apartment. And, you know, I'm not going to get into names and what happened and where. No, no. But yeah. the people at the front desk refused to let me in with everything I owned and left me on the sidewalk with nowhere to go. And oh, wow. I was able to call. I was able to call my family, and we arranged an Airbnb. They helped me pay for it. You know what I mean? Like I would have been on the street, like yeah. quite literally, with nowhere to go in this industry where it can be so turbulent. You know, like if I can't play shows, I can't make money. If I can't make money, I can't eat. Like it's yeah. so with the pandemic and stuff. I definitely would not have made it without my family. So that's it's interesting because I feel like there's two aspects of people. I think like we're kind of coming out of the pandemic. And then there's people are like, no, we're still in the pandemic, but things are getting loose. Now, my stance on that is more or less like I feel like it's been a while. We've been kind of caged up for maybe two odd years. And it's kind of like, all right, it's not as bad as when it started because now we have vaccines and things like, yes, it's still here, but we'll get through it. At the beginning, yeah. we weren't sure. Now it's kind of a little bit more assertive. That doesn't mean it's still not out there. You won't get it. No. But it's more or less feels a little bit more contained, I guess, or a little bit more structured. How did you handle the pandemic? Because obviously you just mentioned if you're not doing shows, you're not getting paid. Bills are coming in. Yes, there's a supportive family there. But like, how, were, how did you handle this all mentally? Obviously, the government helped with gig workers. Yeah. They sent money. That, uh, that helped pay my, that paid my rent essentially yeah. throughout the pandemic so i was okay in that sense mentally it was one of those things like <laughs> hurry up and wait yeah. like you can't do anything right now so just do nothing and be okay with that and when it comes to writing for instance like you need experiences to write about and once you've written you know the last three years of your life and you have all those songs and they're sitting there and you're sitting in quarantine not doing anything and it's the same thing day to day it's hard to write music and it's hard to do things productively so yeah. that was one thing i struggled with i just felt very stagnant and i felt like i couldn't write songs and i felt like i couldn't write lyrics and stuff because i had nothing to write about i had nothing to express yeah i feel like that's interesting because we've had like other artists out from like all across the country and I remember Parker Gray, like when you mentioned that Parker Gray came to mind and like she's from out West, but she said the same thing. Like she was in a writing session with Greg Ryder and they were like trying to be productive during pandemic. And she's like, honestly, she's like, I just feel like sitting back and having a drink and we'll have a chat and wherever it goes from there, it goes. And he was like, all right, because he's like two people first time meeting each other, I assume. I think that's what she mentioned because it's like a writing session or a Zoom session. And then I think out of that, now I could be completely wrong in this story, but somewhat on the topic, I think he came out with like Northern Lights because they just kind of sat chat about their life. And I was like, all right, interesting enough. Like it's not always have to be this kind of sit down, be structured. Sometimes you get songs out of nowhere. And in COVID, I guess it was kind of hard to find meetings, find something to be inspired about. Yes, people came out with music during COVID, I was very surprised. I think a media, like you mentioned earlier, how media kind of put you in a bubble or a box where people were kind of like, why would Dua Lipe come out with an album during COVID? It's like, what, what do you want her to do? Like, do you want no artist to come out with anything and then we don't buy it? Like, yeah, I guess COVID affects everyone, but maybe she's kind of like, you know what? The world needs music. It's like, yeah, people will still buy it. Like, I mean, it's not like what's an album today i'm getting so old because i just go on like 
iTunes and buy the song. And I know that's wrong because people are like, just buy the album. I'm like, what about I don't like every song of the album? It's like, you did it when you were 10. I'm like, yeah, and I regret it. <laughs> but <laughs> I like, it's literally like $2 for a song. And if you want to buy the whole album when it comes out, maybe it's 20, 25. But I'm like, all right, it still gives you something like, I bought this for $25. We're in a pandemic. I'll listen to the whole album now because I have time. And if yeah. I like 10 songs out of 12 or eight out of 12, awesome. If I like three, I'm like, all right, kind of sucks that I bought like three songs for $25, but I still bought an album. That's an achievement. Yeah. Help the artist. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I think that's a, that's one thing. Like when you mentioned like your mental state with the pandemic and stuff like that, that was one thing that I actually asked a few of my friends and like fellow artists about. It's like, as a musician, where the hell do you fit into a global pandemic? <laughs> like, you know, do you post your new music to share it with people? But then are they going to be like, dude, nobody cares. Everybody's dying. Like, like, like you know, feel, feel room, Bailey. <laughs> but exactly. Yeah. So like, that's the way I felt. I felt like if I'm promoting my music or posting live streams and videos of myself, then I'm drawing attention away from important things. But yeah. at the same time, that's kind of why I'm there as an artist and as songwriters and performers. Our job is to give people escapism. You're supposed to be able to come to us and think of lollipops and rainbows for a couple hours before you go back to the real world. So it's yeah. not that you shouldn't write music about real things. I think there is definitely a space. And as an artist, if you care about something, you should express that through your music. But not every song needs to be relevant. Sometimes you can just write good music to let people escape for, for a little while. And yeah. that's one thing that it took, took me you know, almost the whole pandemic to realize that it's like, like you said, do a leap up with an album out. And they were like, why? And it's like, yeah. because just because it's a pandemic doesn't mean humans stop being human. We still yeah. need light and happy things in our life. I like that the reference, well, I'm going to go off one of your references there, like a kind of a pun, but I remember watching like Instagram lives when and it's all depending on like what your personality is. Listen, if Luke Combs and Thomas Rhett told the whole pandemic off and said, great pandemic, I'm just going to sit back and relax with my kids. I'm like, fine, you earned it, whatever. But then there were people like out there, like lights, for example, that were doing live streams and they like, they didn't have really, I won't say they didn't have a clue because that's not nice, but it's like more or less like they didn't have like a goal in mind. They just did a live stream. Cause they're like, Hey, do you guys want to hear me do some covers or some of my own music? And people are like, hell yeah, I want to listen to you do your own covers and crap. And then it's like, all right. And I remember I like tune into it one night because again, nothing to do. She was like singing Smash Mouth. And I was like, lights singing Smash Mouth. Okay. Where's this going? Awesome. But she did it. She did it so good. And I was just still like, I like lights, but that gave me a new appreciation of like, she's just like, great overall like i always kind of label like just say if you see avril Lavigne doing punk rock you're like all right she would never be able to do a slow song and then you see her do a slow song and you're like never knew avril what happened here it's like i my go-to example with that is like Nicki minaj when people just like oh she's just a rapper and she's crap i'm just like go uh go listen to some of her actual like deep stuff like i think it's like marilyn monroe where she just strictly sings and i'm like that's good now, why didn't you release that over like the stupid WAP song? And then she's just like, well, because people like that song too. I'm like, fair, but I just think you get more attention with this. But I am a media person kind of dictating. <laughs> like there's different aspects when it comes to being in the music industry. Like, yeah. yes, you need to, you need to sell your music at the end of the day. 
say you write an album and your album has 12, 16 songs on it. Not everybody is going to listen to all 16 songs. That's just this a fact. This is true. <laughs> but if you can get people to stream the album because they hear one song they like, or one song gets super popular so they hear your name, yeah. then you have people buying tickets to shows. And then you have people buying merch at the shows. And that's where musicians make most of their money because streams and streaming and stuff is just not unless you're at a huge level, like someone like Ed Sheeran and John Mayer, like you're not making a whole bunch of money off of streams. Like you're getting something like 0.07 cents on the dollar per stream. You're going to, you're going to make a living through playing live and doing shows and making music. And it comes to a point, obviously there are lines you can and can't cross and that's personal opinion, but you need to do whatever it takes to sell your music. So if you have five songs and you think these two show who you are as a person, but you think this song will get more attention, yeah. then you're better off going with the one that gets more attention because then more people will listen to the songs you want out. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, no, it, it definitely makes sense. Now, I haven't seen the whole documentary, but I know like they did mention in a Backstreet Boys documentary, and I know people like, really, he's going back to Backstreet Boys. I, I remember them saying, I think it's like on one of the albums, it was either uh, Don't Want You Back, I think was a song, or there was another one that they were trying to figure out which one they were going to release. And I think three or four of the members really wanted this song. And I think Nick was like, no, this song is going to do better. I don't, I can't remember how it got decided, but obviously in the documentary, they kind of discussed this, but it's really interesting because when I hear it now, I still got to watch it, but it's kind of interesting when people are like, isn't that weird? How they, even the band was trying to decide which song was going to be like more popular. And then even the label was like, no, maybe this one. And I think the label ended up getting it right. But it's not to say the other song wasn't popular. It was just like, this is the song for the CD that's going to get people to buy a CD. And I'm like, interesting. I think it could have been like Shape of Your Heart they ended up choosing for the actual song. But it's interesting to me because I'm like, wow, I did not know that much work goes into just wow, how are we going to promote this CD? Like I look at it sometimes. I'm like, yeah, that artist is good. Whatever song they want to promote it with, I'll go buy it. But then sometimes you're like, all right, which is the song though that they think the mass is will like and i'm just like all right who cares about the masses <laughs> just put out a song that you like yeah. and it's like yeah but there's more to it than that so i'm not an artist in terms of that yeah. sense and that's probably why i'd like write three songs and be like let's market them all right now and then it's like well brian now they're going to want more songs next week we'll tell them to f off i don't got them ready yet they'll be like that's not how this works <laughs> yeah that's the thing it is a lot there's a huge thing about momentum as well like that's one thing like why the industry can be very difficult because money is a huge thing in all aspects of life. And when it comes to recording and recording equipment, even like that stuff can get very expensive. And I released my EP, I think it was 2018 and I haven't released any music since now. Part of that is on me because that in 2019, I didn't get into record. Then we had the pandemic. So it's like during the pandemic, there weren't a whole lot of studio sessions going on. And I think I, I actually did send a couple songs away to be mixed, but then some things needed to be re-recorded and I couldn't get back in the studio to do that. Yeah. Right. So it was just like things kept coming up and like now I'm at a point where I'm just going to like get some money together and get my own recording equipment. So that way I can record here at home and then send the files where they need to go as opposed yeah. to having to go and pay be in a studio and stuff like that, because it can be very difficult. Yeah, I can imagine. So, but like, I guess like when we go back to 
what you said 2018 but your ep like do you find that at times kind of frustrating because i know with podcasting like sometimes when someone tells you okay do it this way do it that way or hey you might need this and you're kind of like well dude like i've i've got everything set here what else do you want but i find like for you if you're very like interested in music and you want to put out more stuff like do you find that sometimes frustrating where it's like all right like how am i getting this done like i got no studio here there's no studios opened like what do you want me to do (laughs) yeah that it can definitely be frustrating but i think that is that is a part of it you know that is like people always say like since i was 15 i was told that the music industry is one of the most difficult industries to get into you were told that too that's what they told me about media no 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 literally (laughs) but it's very similar it's very similar because it, it is it's all about consistency and consistency in most cases requires funding and consistent funding so when it comes to recording eps recording albums or even putting out a single there needs to be some money behind that and like that is where like that's the kind of the struggling artist thing you know yeah. it's like i need to pay rent but i also want to put a song out it's like do i do i pay my rent now and not release a song or do i release a song but everyone knows me as the guy out on the street like how, how does this work <laughs> exactly and it's getting to a point where now obviously artists do it all the time and there are independent artists who make a living doing this their whole lives and it's like getting from myself to a point where i can be self-sufficient where i wrote a new song i can then record it and then i can send it to you know this person or this person or these people and see what comes back you know what i mean and i can do that on a regular basis and like that's kind of what i'm trying to get at now because i'm trying to avoid releasing an ep and then disappearing for three years you you mentioned about uh 17 going obviously from Newfoundland to moving away to fulfill this uh, music career. But I want to ask you like 17 years old, I went to Carlton in Ottawa at 20 and I was still kind of like, I, I felt like I was prepared. Now there were still moments, obviously being a Newfoundlander in I'll call foreign Ontario. Cause sometimes that's what it feels like. And I was like, they don't understand me here. I asked a guy, what are you at? And he was just still like, what do you what do you mean and i'm just like oh i gotta get rid of all this fast but 17 i feel like at 17 i was just worried about like hey are my detroit red wings gonna make the playoffs oh i gotta worry about what i want to do when i'm finished high school it seems like you had this goal or mission where it's like i know what i want i gotta go up here to do it but were you ever nervous like at any point were you kind of second guessing it and being like oh man maybe i should enroll in a university or college so that actually didn't come until probably midway through last year <laughs> um, because I was like, there's nothing, I can't make music, I can't work, I can't do anything. But yeah. uh, I think I can attribute most of my general attitude back then to blind optimism. You know, it was just like, if I work hard and write music and do the things that I'm supposed to do, things will work out. Now, life doesn't always work like that, but when you treat it like that, things can work out. You know what I mean? And it's like, I wouldn't be here right now if I didn't make the decisions that I did. And I'm very grateful for that. But looking back, I probably could have been a lot smarter about it. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. 
4Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at 4Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. When someone goes on to say YouTube, and I guess music is different, obviously, than comedy in this sense, but like... When you go see a musician, you're like listening to their songs, say on your iPod or phone or whatever daily, and you'll go see their concert where they perform the same song and you leave happy or you might leave a little bit mad because they didn't play that one song you liked where I feel like comedians, you watch their YouTube videos and like just say it's like live from New York. One could be live from Boston and then they go to where you're located and you're like, all right, I've seen all these jokes. He's really doing it like line for line verbatim of what he did in Boston. It's like, no, no crap. And like you get to see that live, though, now compared to on a computer screen and you're mad. Like I remember seeing yeah. Jim Gaffigan in Ottawa and knowing his punchline and jokes. And I left that being like, I got to see Jim Gaffigan live and I knew his yeah. jokes. It made me feel better because I was like, I knew exactly where he was going. I, I like the fans reaction because I was like, let's see how the fans react to this joke. But there are some people like, I can't believe I just wasted a hundred dollars on something I could look on YouTube. I'm like, all right, but that's on you. <laughs> I'm like, you knew what you were yeah, going into. They don't get it, I guess. Yeah. yeah you know, you know what you were going into. <laughs> that's the thing with comedy. It's there's a, there is a similarity, yeah. but it's very different. The only similarity is the crowd work in the sense that as a musician, you need to get the crowd into it. You need to get them energetic. You need to make them, yeah. yeah, you need to make them want to sing, first of yeah. all. And then they'll sing their heart out and they'll be happy. With a comedian, you need to keep them engaged the entire time with what you're saying. Yeah. And it's, you know, and like, like you said, with like repeating jokes and stuff like that, like comedians have to come up with new stuff consistently to stay relevant otherwise they'll just be that guy who had that joke or that story that time yeah and i i can't imagine you know like that to me is terrifying i pick the songs that i'm gonna play for the month i'm like this is my set list for this show this is my set list for this show this is oh, what wow. i'm gonna okay. play in front of these people you know whereas a comedian has to get up there look around the room and say hmm, maybe i'll make a joke about his hat maybe i'll make a joke about that waitress over there and maybe yeah. I'll find a way to fit this joke into this segment. And it's like that kind of mental gymnastics that they have to do on stage yeah. is just crazy to me. I feel like a set list can be a similarity in terms of jokes and with songs, because like you don't just go up on stage and be like, yeah, I'm just going to riff this tonight. Some comedians will say that, but you know, it's playing their mind of, I got to go with this story, which leads to this story leads to this and then their final joke somehow wraps up everything they did within that hour and then you're like punchline got you and i feel like a set list is the same way you got to feel the room like you're not just going to do like 20 happy songs and then hit them with a sad song to end the show then people are like 
Yeah. I really didn't like the show. He made me cry at the end. It's like, yeah, but he played 20 happy songs. It's almost like you got to figure it out. Like I, I like sometimes when you watch musicians, some people just get up and sing. Understood. Some artists like to give you like five or six songs and then they get on and tell you almost like this is their shift change. It's like, hey, I wrote this song like when I was 18 and I was depressed, um, but you guys really liked it. And then they know instantly what the song is. And they're like, yeah, OK, this isn't like the happiest song in the world, but I get it. I know where he's going. Yeah. The next three or four might be a little bit more moody. And then he comes back and he's like, all right, thank you for listening to that song. Let's end it with a bang. And then you're like, all right, cool. So I feel like that's maybe where the comedy and music side gets similar. But I mean, I, I never really thought about that until you mentioned it with a set list of like, I used to just think me or like musicians sometimes would just be like, and I don't know why I did, but just got up and sang some songs and like, all right, this room looks pretty cheerful. Let's keep singing cheerful songs. And it's like, Oh, okay. I noticed that they're not feeling this one as much. Let's change it up. I didn't actually really contemplate that there's actually a set list, even though I'm sure I've watched documentaries where bands will talk about that thing in particular of like, yeah, we did a show in London and we changed up our London one from the U from another because they started to figure out what we were doing next and we wanted to keep them guessing. I'm like, all right, cool, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, and then you, again, there's also like you have to do different set lists for different events too, because it's like if I'm playing in a bar for three hours, yeah, I'm definitely gonna go off of the crowd more so than if I was doing a 45 minute showcase on a show or something. Yeah, you know. You gotta, so it's like it's the same. It's the same thing. Whereas like a comedian will have a 10 minute set for an open mic, but he's still working on his hour long, like oh yeah, magnum to, opus yeah. or whatever. It's interesting. You know what? I really like how you brought that up because that's a good that's a good point. Because I mean, you go to like a yuck yucks, they're not giving a twenty year old an hour stand up special. It's like, all right, no, nope. I got ten minutes here. Next Friday I might have another ten minutes. Let's see which ones kind of work, which ones don't, which ones do we keep in in case we ever get to that point where they give me an hour or twenty minutes or whatever. And then you're like, all right, cool. I've only done like one night of stand up and where I felt like I bombed and I was just so happy to go on the bus ride home. But even in my own paranoid mind, I'm like, I bombed. There are people at that show on this bus that now know me and they just know me as that guy who bombed. Uh, but in like hindsight, they probably could care less. They were just there for pancakes. And I yeah. and I left in they go like, oh, great. That's all they'll ever know is that, hey, we were here for pancakes and some guys are up doing stand up. Some of them did good. Some of them didn't do good. And that's it. Until like later yeah. on in life where I'll meet like like the how I met your mother approach where I meet my wife or something. She's like, I was at that pancake house. You sucked. I'd be like, oh, my thank God. you. Thank you. <laughs> it's oh like, how, how did we end up together? It's like, well, because I thought you were still nice. I'd be like, but it ruins the whole expectations. You still think I'm bad at comedy. <laughs> It's like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think all performers are lucky in the sense that, like, if you bomb or you have a bad show, people will say that was a bad show, but they won't necessarily remember you. If yeah. that makes sense, that's nice. be like that's a musician <laughs> that I can forget about. Yeah. So then, when you come back a year later and you're better, then they're yeah. like, "Oh, who are you?" And it's like you saw me play before, but I'm better now. So maybe you like it. That, like that that is fair. My I think the funny thing, so to cut kind of, we'll go off on another topic, but the one thing that I liked about that is there's Carlton Stones from Port City. I think it's just Carlton Stone from Port Cities. And he made the joke that they did a festival one time in Nova Scotia, and for years he was just doing it as Carlton Stone. 
and like the other two members that were in poor cities i don't remember their name right now one of them left because of the pandemic but uh then the next year they came back and they instead of just giving them each their individual name like carlton emily keith they were now labeled port city and then people are like this is a really good band i love this band where you guys been it's like oh yeah we were here last year and the year before we were just not called port cities (laughs) yeah it's yeah. like listening to someone on the radio where it's like, you know, all of a sudden you're listening to like Olivia Rodrigo and next minute she doesn't go by Olivia Rodrigo anymore. She goes, she changes her style a little bit and then she goes by just Olivia and you're like, this is a really good artist. Where's she been all this time? It's like, she's always been there. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are so many, like, I mean, I don't, I can't remember. I just remember, I remember the day. I can't remember how old I was. It was like when I was like discovering the industry and music for the first time via the internet but like when i found out that dave kroll the drummer for nirvana was also the main singer and writer for foo fighters it was just like well yeah now i i had heard of foo fighters and i knew that they were a big band and i kind of knew the name dave kroll but i didn't realize that nirvana dave kroll and foo fighters it's all connected and it's all one thing and it's like they weren't three separate people who got lucky and famous. This is one guy who built a career. Yeah. Now, I I don't think I'll ever change my name, but... No, no. I feel like that's the same way of how I feel with sometimes when I look at, like... uh, Well, when I was growing up, it was like Blink-182 compared to uh, Boxcar Racer and then Angels and Airwaves. Like, I knew who Tom DeLonge was, but there was a point in time where I'm just like, whatever happened to Tom DeLonge? It's like, oh, did you ever hear of Angels and Airwaves? I'm like, there is no time for that, Adam. I asked you whatever happened to Tom DeLong. Yeah. We're talking Blink-182. And he's like, just just listen to Angels and Airwaves. I'm like, all right, keep dodging my question. And then you'll listen to yeah. it. And you're like, why does this guy sound familiar? He's like, that's Tom DeLong, idiot. And I'm like, I like this too. I like Blink-182. I like this. And then it's like, all right, good for him. But it's almost like someone had to kind of be like, yeah, you know, that's what happened here. Right? So... I'm like, okay, yeah, gotcha. Yeah, and I mean, there is definitely something to be said about reaching a new audience, but yeah. then there's like your old audience, which like someone like you, like you didn't know where he was or what he was doing until somebody told you. Yeah. Right. But I guess I guess word of mouth is still going to be the best way to sell anything. So. I want to ask you to kind of close it out, like to just do a kind of a rapid fire question here. The first one is, what is your biggest fear? My biggest fear. I would probably say failure, but not necessarily failing, if that makes sense. In my eyes, like if I get to like 50 and, you know, no kids, no wife, no house, nothing, I will think I failed. And that's kind of my biggest fear. I want to have not just a career, but I want to build a life. And that's good. I don't want I don't want to run out of time before I get that done. So that's, that's kind. A, my, that's my biggest fear. What was the first show you've ever gone to see live? That was Avril Lavigne in 2008 at the Mile wow. One Center. And how was it? It was amazing. Blew my mind. She played the guitar. <laughs> she played the drums. She played the bass. And she sang vocals, obviously, the entire time. Yeah. yeah. Incredible. <laughs> yeah. But are we sure it was Avril Lavigne? Because there's conspiracy theories around there that say that Avril has been dead for like so many years. I'm only kidding. It's definitely Avril. This is before she disappeared. So it was definitely yeah, yeah. the real Oh, thing. okay. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Where would you like to see yourself in 10 years time? 
I got it. You kind of answered that earlier, but I want to ask, like, where, where would you like to see yourself in 10 years time? In 10 years time, I would like to be in a situation where I can tour for most of the year. And whether that be doing, you know, local shows, Toronto, Newfoundland, or, you know, anywhere else that they'll take me. Just being able to go on tour and play consistently and then have somewhere to come back to that I can call home. Nice. That's, that's, that's what I'm aiming towards before. Well, I'm, I'm 23 now, so I'll be 33 in 10 years. So I'm hoping by then I have a place to call home and a, a career that I can work at consistently. Oh, wow. Okay. See, earlier when we started this, I thought you were like 22. So I was and that was just me guessing. So I wasn't, I wasn't too far off. Yeah. So for, for me for 10 years, I, I mean, there's a part of me that really wants to say, go big or go home. So I feel like I want to be on like an actual, like on a platform, whether it be like CTV, CBC, or just, I guess, in syndication, which kind of feels weird to say, yeah. because like, you know, I, I know we're on Rogers TV. I know this is going to be on Rogers TV at some point. Uh, and that's kind of cool, but I feel like the more networks you're on or the more eyes see you, obviously for someone like myself, that's great. But I, I used to think like, oh, that has to happen right away. But I feel like in 10 years time, if you're in syndication on different networks, if like you're seeing a lot more followers, if everything keeps on increasing, I think that's a good start or a good place to kind of go compared to if you're like, yeah, in 10 years time, if this isn't, if I'm not on like uh, NBC, it's a fail. I'd be like, all right, well, you're not on NBC, but people in Newfoundland know who you are. People in Ottawa know who you are. Canada knows who you are. I'd be like, all right. So it maybe took 10 years to do that, but it's better than nothing. Absolutely. <laughs> Dude, honestly, like seeing like Tobin tonight, that name alone is fantastic and i'm sorry but i don't know any late night canadian tv shows that i watch it's like i watch your podcast sometimes and that's pretty much it i like i I like Like, the honesty i like the honesty bailey it wasn't like i watch it all the time i watch it sometimes i'm like oh yes sometimes now in like 10 years bailey will be like i watch it all the time Well, but that's, if you pop up in my newsfeed and you're talking to somebody, I'm confident that's going to be an interesting conversation. That's, that's I, like for sure. That's going to do it for this episode of Tobin Tonight. Our thanks to Bailey Jordan Neal for coming on to the show. Remember, you can find past, present, and future episodes on TobinTonight.com, Spotify, and iTunes. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and leave a comment or two. For Tobin and myself, this is Jacob saying. Thank you for listening and good night. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holawati 
from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many rogues that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.